Now, um, I had a random conversation this week. I wasn't expecting it. I went out uh, to speak uh, to somebody um, about um, church stuff, about uh, work stuff for me, and um, I had this uh, random conversation, and I was uh, sort of stopped in my tracks because during this conversation, I realized something quite significant um, uh, was happening for me. And, and this conversation, which should have been about work, should have been about safeguarding and getting all that right, so it's a very important conversation, ended up for me being a conversation about the soul. And it wasn't just a conversation to the person I was speaking to, but it was an internal uh, conversation going on inside me as well. Um, now, one of my heroes, Rob Bell, has a very simple uh, theory about life, and it's simply this, everything is spiritual. And that phrase has gripped me for years. So I know every coffee I have with somebody, even if it's about work, is a spiritual thing. Every single thing we see, we think, and we do is spiritual. And I think I probably... I knew it, but I'd forgotten it. I don't know if you can know things and forget things, but that's what, I, that's what had happened. And this week, right in the middle of um, drinking, and this is very important, a sprinkle-free cappuccino, as I was talking about this morning, I don't, cinnamon is evil on, on them. But chocolate, I could cope with, but why, why, would, you put, why would you spoil a good drink anyway? But, but anyway, so a sprinkle-free cappuccino, I was having a spiritual moment. Something was exploding inside uh, my heart. Actually, that's no, it wasn't because I didn't have a heart attack or anything. It was just something was going on inside me. And I was reminded about the most important thing of all, about the most important conversation of all. Quite simply, the most important thing in life is our conversation with God. That internal dialogue which is a gift to every human being as I'm speaking tonight we can be having that internal conversation as you're driving a car home as you're riding your bike home trying not to be killed as you're walking home you can have this internal conversation as you're going to sleep this internal conversation can just be part of everything uh, which we do it's a gift from God to every single human being. We can talk to God, we can listen to him, we can be aware of his presence, we can be shaped by him, we can honour him in every moment of our lives. And as I was having my cappuccino, I was completely gripped. It's as if my imagination went haywire. And I realised in those moments that I'd pushed that conversation uh, right back it wasn't taking the central place it should be. I wasn't quite listening to that voice as sharply as I should. I don't know why. Is it because I'm under pressure? I only work one day a week. I'm a vicar, so can't be that. Uh, could it be I'm distracted or frustrated? Am I too busy? Is, uh, is general life just pushing in on, on it? Am, or, or am I just ignoring something? God's voice was still there, but it wasn't as clear, probably... It wasn't as honoured as it should have been. And it surprised me, actually, to recognise this. Because over the summer, I'd been uh, doing some reading. And one of, another hero of mine uh, called uh, Shane Claiborne um, had got me gripped as I was reading about this idea of vocation. And vocation is where it's at in my trade. I would say I have a vocation, and that vocation is to be a priest. But vocation 
can never be just about working in a church. Vocation can't just be about all this stuff which I'm supposed to be able to do. It's much bigger than that. In fact, if you limit vocation to that, you've, it, it's completely wrong. It's almost, I would say it's almost evil because you're not making vocation as it should be because vocation is far more precious and important than that. It's bigger because every single one of us sat here tonight has a vocation. I can assure you there is a vocation on your life. You could say vocation is what unites us as Christians. All of us will have a call, uh, the call of God on our lives. You know that this idea of vocation is alive and well in you when you're living your life doing what God has called you to do. And I'm not talking about a job. I'm just talking about living daily life, doing what God has called you to do or asked you to do. When you're living your life, I think, completely for Jesus. Here's uh, the one when you're living your life you listen out to first. Shane Claiborne writes in his very important book, and everyone should read it, The Irresistible Revolution, Living as an Ordinary Radical. Living as an Ordinary Radical. Radical's good, yeah. So, um, but he, he writes powerfully about vocation, and he speaks of how the world word vocation comes from the same root of the word voice. And the idea behind the word vocation is about hearing a divine call, or more simply, hearing God's voice. And that's what I've pushed back, the hearing of God's voice. Voice. So when we speak of this idea of vocation, we have this vital idea at the centre of Christianity that all of us have the capacity to hear God's voice. Now, hearing God's voice is a complex thing. So, I mean, it sounds very easy. I'll just hear God's voice. Yeah, I'll do it. It's, it's, it's not. It's, much, it's more complex than that because it involves everything about who we are. It involves our emotions, our intellect, our relationships. In a way, I believe it's probably when these things, emotion, intellect, and relationships collide, we get what we call spirituality, which is then the space in which we allow God to speak, and we can listen, and we can discern, and work out what God's voice is saying to us. A terrifying thing that Shane Claiborne says is, most of us spend too little energy on seeking our vocation. There are plenty of people who are miserable in their jobs, for they have not listened to God's call. Are you miserable in your job because you've neglected God? I don't know. And Jesus today is speaking in our Bible reading to people who are miserable in their jobs because despite having all the advantages in life, they had failed to listen to the voice of God Jesus is speaking to the spiritual leaders of Israel and they had completely missed it and mucked it up and failed in their spiritual discernment. God's voice had gone missing and their internal dialogue had failed to include him. So if you've got your apps on your phone open, if, you, if you're going old style, um, uh, in, open up your Bibles to Matthew Uh, 21 and uh, let's get behind uh, what's going on here in this passage this is a really hard hitting parable being told by Jesus it's told just a few days uh, before his crucifixion and Jesus I think is in that process of knowing it's all going wrong 
emotionally, he's in a really tough place. He knows everything he's working, worked for in the last few years is coming to an end. One commentator on this passage says, as Jesus enters his final week, everything he taught and every miracle and every tender act of kindness he has performed now find their ultimate meaning in the deeds and story of this final week. So it's heightened, everything's uh, high pressure. And in this parable, he's speaking about a people who he blames for the predicament which he is in. Religious leaders who completely missed the point. Religious leaders who stopped understanding and most certainly stopped listening to God's voice. Religious leaders who instead of noticing what God is up to, were trapped into a way of thinking and doing which dragged people away from God rather than released people towards him. Religious leaders who chose to take control and make it all about them and what they did and how great their sermons were and how great their worships events were rather than God. I need to tell you, this is a really hard parable to preach on if you're a rector of any variety. Brings you up short. And so Jesus tells this story, this parable we got tonight, to make a point. And he talks about a really familiar thing. It's really understood and imagined in first century Palestine. As soon as Jesus mentioned that word, vineyard, they'd have known, oh, this parable is about us. And it would have felt, as Jesus started uh, his parable off, a really familiar story to them. Just read Isaiah chapter 2 and you'll see the familiarity. Remember, Jesus brings it all together in these parables. He brings everything in the whole of creation together in these parables, and he brings all of the Old Testament, all of the thinking in Israel and Palestine at the time, and he brings everything of who he is to these parables to help us to understand the kingdom of God better. He uses imagery and ideas which is well known every time when he talks about the kingdom. So Jesus talks about a landowner, and this landowner plants a vineyard. It's a good vineyard. It's fit for purpose. It's got a wall around it, and it's got a high watchtower. It's exactly what was needed back then, and it was a completely familiar site. It would have been well protected from thieves and wild animals. So this is a good plot of land, which should do well for the landowner. And was uh, and it, it as was the practice in the first century uh, Palestine, this land would have been then rented out to tenants or farmers and they would look after the vineyard. And this means that these people would have a job, they'd have a chance to earn a bit of money and the landowner was sat, set free from doing that back-breaking uh, job. But also he'd make, or she would make a bit, I'm sure it mainly he back then, but they would make a bit of money um, from uh, having this land. So it's quite, you know, you can sense it's quite a good relationship, a good way to do business. And in the parable, the landover moves away, and it's then, when he moves away, things start to turn ugly, because it came time for the harvest. That was the money time, and the landowner would have sent the service to servants down, his servants, to get their fair share of the income and fair share of the crop. However, violence became the order of the day. Beatings, murders, and stoning. It didn't just happen once, it happened again. And a distressed and perplexed farmer, very horrified at events, thought the only solution is I'm going to send my son down and sort out the trouble. And the full then, the full deprivation of the farmer's thinking 
became revealed in verse 38 when we read, But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And Jesus then finishes off this parable in verse 40 by asking the crowd who are standing there, listening to this story, saying, well, what should happen to the tenants? What should they do? And the crowd answers, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Such an important uh, parable as it gives us a glimpse of Jesus' feelings there and then. We can just sense and feel how unimpressed he is with all those religious leaders. He is revolted by them and their inability to listen to God or to understand God's ways. We see that Jesus now fully understands in these moments that he's being rejected by exactly the ones he came to save. We see in this parable by the characters who represent the key figures in the story of Israel. And we see how Jesus sees this story progressing. So God is the vineyard owner. The vineyard is Israel. The farmers are the religious leaders and those who should look after Israel's interests. And the servants who come to collect the income are the prophets of the Old Testament. And also the servants, when Jesus thought about them, he's probably thinking of John the Baptist too. So of course, the son in this parable can only be Jesus. This is Jesus' story, and we see how self-aware he is about the predicament that he's entering into in the final days of his life. So for Jesus, the religious leaders have mucked up, they've had every chance to turn it around, but they failed to, un- to do that in their inability to understand God, his heart and his ways. They'd stopped listening to God's voice. They were caught up in a bubble of religious activity which blinded people to God, and they were caught up in this cycle of self-interest and preservation rather than God-interest. It became about them rather than God. Everything was the opposite of how it should be. And this is seen in the parable because the parable is told in a sort of very surprising way because normally it would be the the, the very rich, wealthy, self-interested landowners, vineyard owners or landlords who were the horrible ones, not the tenants. The tenants are, are the goodies because they were normally the poor, the abused and ripped off. But in the story, Jesus turns it on their head because something had happened and everything had gone out of kilter. The opposite of what should be happening, what happens, and that's happening, and that's what happens when you forget uh, to listen. I was interested this week, I don't know if you've read these two stories or watched it on telly or something, but one was, or you might have even gone on the internet and explored it. Um, One was about uh, Ryan uh, Giggs and uh, Gary Neville. If you're my age, they're quite young people, they're footballers, but for a lot of you in church, you might never have heard of them, but they were pretty good footballers in their day for Man United, when Man United were quite good. Um, (laughs) Two, sorry, Nathan. Um, I'm looking at a Man United. T- it's very disturbing. Uh, anyway, <laughs> distracting, sorry, not disturbing. You're beautiful. 
Um, but they're huge football celebrities. They are, they are mega wealthy. They, they've earned mega bucks and they've made uh, mega bucks because they've turned into good uh, business uh, people as well. And they bought this grand old building in Manchester. Have you read about it? And it's the, they bought this old stock exchange in Manchester. Manchester's in England, if you're wondering where it is. And um, they are going to turn it into a boutique a hotel. Now, I, I, that to me... What's wrong with luxury? Anyway, they're turning it into a boutique hotel. And, uh, but they bought this, and the deal was uh, sealed, and then all of a sudden they discovered there were squatters living uh, there. Bit of a problem. They've got the building. They need to convert it. They've been every right to kick these squatters out. But what do they do? They say, actually, during the winter, we're really happy for you to live, live there whilst we work out the plans and we deal with it all. You're very happy uh, to live there. What a great thing. I wasn't expecting that this rich business deal uh, and these rich people are looking after the homeless in Manchester. It's very impressive to read and good on them. But let's put that alongside another story I read this week. And I, to be honest, this could be a complex story, and I might be speaking out of turn, and I apologize if I am. But I read a story in The Independent, so it must be true, about a church. That's an English paper as well, I'm sorry. But, but, about a church in Oxford. Again, it's in England. I need to make these more at North. Sorry. <laughs> really sorry. About a church in Oxford who have some homeless people, and these homeless people are living in the graveyard, and a few people who walk through the graveyard are a little bit scared of them. And so... I think, rather shockingly, I read that the vicar there of that church is trying to evict them. Somebody commented in the press about this. What would Jesus do in this circumstance? It doesn't really feel like a Jesus kind of thing the vicar's doing. But what Gary Neville and what Ryan Giggs are doing does feel like a Jesus thing. Something's out of kilter. People you expect not to help, help and then vice versa. And that's what's happening in the passage. The passage also subverts um, what the use of the high tower, you remember the high tower was built for? It subverts the use of that high tower because all those tenants would be up there thinking, oh, when can we beat somebody up? Looking forward to it. In Isaiah 52, though, we see what a high tower should be used to used for and, and all the people listening would have known this and the religious leaders certainly would have known it at the time the high tower is used to look out in Isaiah 52 for the good news the news of salvation but in this parable the tower is used to look out to bring death and destruction to the servants and to the son it's used to deny God rather than to embrace God joyfully. The leaders of Israel haven't just listened, they, hadn't, they haven't just listened, they haven't, sorry, they haven't listened and they haven't been looking, and they'd rather let a story of death and decline be their story, uh, rather than the story of new life and hope which God brings. In fact, the culture believed back then that things got worse rather than better. I wonder if things have changed. Does our culture think things are going to get worse rather than better? I think we are shifting. I think we probably do things, think things are going to get worse rather than better. It wasn't like that under Tony Blair. Anyway, so, so who's going... That's not political, by the way. It's, it's true. No. And look at what we've got now. Uh, so, so who's going to bother climbing up the high tower to see if there's any... Uh, good news 
back then because that's what they craved. They wanted that good news. Let this, I think, I'm now going to speak about Scotland, be a warning to us at the moment. The church in Scotland, I think, could become caught up in this bad news story, could become caught up in the story of death and decline as we look at church statistics. I've got a book here, Dave preached on it on Vision Sunday, full of statistics about the church in Scotland. And let me tell you, it's not joyful reading. It's, it's hard to read. And G- Dave told us on Vision Sunday how tough things are for us as a church here in Scotland at the moment. And what I think the key thing is, it is tough, and we have to accept it's a, a, a climate where people seem to be rejecting Christianity rather than embracing uh, Jesus. So we need to work out how to do that. So it is tough uh, for us, but it is not a cue for inward-looking behaviour and self-preservation behaviour. But it's instead a cue to climb up to our rather small towers on this church and look out and look for joy. It's a cue for us all, all Christians, to climb up the towers and look for the joy who is Jesus and the good news he brings and then work out how we're going to communicate it and shout about it. The other thing in this parable, which because they weren't looking out for the good news which happened, which is terrible, is the tenants destroyed the prophets. And the prophets are the ones who are trying to bring God's voice to the centre of things. And the leaders of the day, again, weren't reading their Bibles. They weren't letting the prophecies, which are so full of words about the future, they weren't letting these prophecies fill them. And they were not reading the sign of the times. In other words, they weren't listening to God and working it out with his word at the centre of things. Just want to read you a story of Tom Wright on page 78, 79, because he tells it far better than I can, about Daniel 2. Just read, tells us the story about Daniel 2, uh, which is about a king who had a dream and wanted that dream interpreted, but he didn't tell anyone uh, what the dream was because he really wanted to know the interpretation he was given was the right interpretation. It sounds mad. But we need to, this is a really, Daniel chapter 2 is the story of Israel, just as this vineyard thing is the story of Israel, and they are connected. So let me read how um, Tom Wright uh, tells this story. Once upon a time, there's an ancient king who posed a similar problem, that's his dream problem, to his counsellors. He wanted to know what his dream meant, but he wouldn't tell them what it was. They, not being trained in modern psychology, objected strongly. Nobody's ever asked such a thing, they said. Whoever heard of such a request... If the king will only tell us his dream, then of course we'll explain what it means. But the king refused, whether it's because he couldn't remember it or because he was testing them isn't quite clear. It all seemed hopeless until one wise man getting his friends to pray for him was granted the special knowledge. This was the king's dream. He saw a huge statue. Its head was made of gold, its chest of arms and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet of a mixture of iron and clay. Then there came a stone which struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them down. And the whole statue came crashing down and was broken into a million pieces. But the stone itself became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So as Daniel spoke, he was telling the story of the people and he was talking of the decline of Israel, that things were going to get worse and then things were going to be 
had destroyed. And despite knowing this story so well, the religious leaders were failing to apply it to themselves, especially as the prophecy seemed to be exactly like the times they were living through. It was as if they were blind and afraid and they'd forgotten to take risks. And in the end, this great big rock was going to destroy everything. And they must have known that the feet were like the stone and the iron intertwined together, making it very weak, that statue. And it wasn't going to take much to make things uh, fall. They must have known something was going to end what was at one time something which was quite beautiful. I'm going to talk more about the rock in a moment, but I just want to talk about something which I think is important for our times, because it's not the same at all, really, but it feels a familiar story, because I think we're still really good at missing uh, prophets and ignoring prophets uh, today. We're really good at not reading the sign of the times, and if we're like that uh, about something major, which I'm going to talk about, we will be like that as well in our spirituality. So we need to really understand this. Because, to, to be honest with you, for the last couple of decades of my life, this idea of global warming has been a consistent story coming out from the scientific community. They're yelling that we have to change and stop our reliance on carbon-based energy, and they're warning, uh, they're warning of chaos if we don't change. They're completely saying the world is going to be very chaotic if we don't change. Now, I was a denier for a few years but I completely am not anymore. I think it's a completely unsound place to be. And so I have started to listening out much more uh, to these people because the signs are all there. The chaos is all there to see. The whole migration issue we're looking at today is because of climate change. I'm challenged by that sign on St. John's Princess Street at the moment, warning that migration is because of global warming. I was challenged here in Rachel Mash, our mission partner uh, from South Africa, warning us things are changing because of global warming. It's easy to live our lives trying to keep things exactly the same. Let's just push it down. A little bit scared, but I'm going to push, push it down that way rather than listen to prophetic warnings. But the thing we have to remember is the kingdom of God is never set. Life is never set the same. We must know that. You know, I've just talked about Tony Blair. We live in a completely different world. It's not the same. Life is always challenged. And there's always a challenge from the kingdom to move forward in our thinking and understanding. And Jesus in this passage is yelling out, you're missing it. You've got to change. You're not listening to my voice. And he yells to the religious leaders uh, like the, talent, the tenants can and only do one thing, and that is to kill the sun. They become so corrupt, these leaders, that death and destruction is all they offer. This must have been such a tough story for Jesus to tell. He was now fully aware that the people he loved so much, these people he wanted to save, were rejecting him. Despite all the signs, despite all the communication, they'd missed it. And this behavior of the tenants outraged the crowd so much that when Jesus asked the question, they decided something must be done about them. The tenants deserved to be punished. And this is where that rock in Daniel 2 comes in. Because when Jesus recites the psalm, Psalm 118, to them, when he says, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in his eyes. He is saying, 
I am that stone which is going to destroy that statue and something new is going to come out of it. Everything is flipped on its head. The upside-down kingdom is in, again in action. The rejected, the bruised, the murdered, the abused, uh, the crucified becomes the solution and it will bring to end uh, the present way of things, the, way, the present way of things are done and introduce new things. God's voice is once again going to take centre stage. For years, Jesus stood there, three years, he stood there right in front of the religious leaders' faces. God's voice he was in human form and he spoke loud and clear. God was speaking to them and they chose to kill it. It's too challenging. What it said was too difficult. Their only solution was silence and to silent it. But that's not the end of the story because God's voice can never ultimately be silent. And because there is always hope, that's what Christianity is. It's about hope. In fact, the silencing of the voice was going to be the start of something new. The conversation would continue, but it was going to be in a new way, and it was going to have new people involved in it. Jesus would entrust the mission of God to these new people, a people which would become known as the church. We are the ones sitting here as the church who re realise that voice now, and we become in challenged and informed by that voice as the church to be the people God wants us to be. And this passage shows us what a high and important thing the voice is. We ignore it at our peril. God's voice is now more accessible. God's kingdom is what it's all about, not our own power bases and our own ministry, but it's God's always has been and always will. So we're encouraged to listen. This passage says, listen. Listen out for God's voice today. It's there and available for us all. Something to be cherished and loved and adored. Do you adore that voice in your heart? Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, whispers to us. He's whispering us to us now in worship. He whispers to us when we're talking and we're having conversations. He's whispering to us when we're serving and we're showing love to each other. He whispers to us as we read the Bible and as we worship and as we just just gently try and live our lives for him. The still, quiet voice still speaks to us today, to our community and the world. So as I was drinking that sprinkle-free cappuccino, I was reminded of the preciousness of that voice of God, the privilege of being able to listen and respond to it, and the feebleness of trying to do it on my own, or just ignore it, or go my own way. I was brought up short. Jesus' voice speaks loud and clear. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And finds a way to enter every echelon of our lives. His voice enhances how we get through life, our direction, what's important, what's not important. It speaks into our ego, our vanity, our strengths, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. It enhances and challenges us. It enhances and challenges our marriages, our parenting, our careers, our education. It gives us strength when we feel like giving up. It gives us quiet joy, even when there's despair. Even when your body has given up, the still quiet voice whispers away. It keeps you going when you're at your wit's end. It forgives you, encourages you, reminds you of love, and it reminds you to love. 
It helps you to release what isn't yours to hold and it helps you to hold on to what you have to and especially your burdens sometimes. It gives you power to face life as it is rather than you'd hope it to be. Jesus said, I am with you always and he whispers with us still today to you, to me. Jesus followers, we are invited to hold this precious gift of God's voice. Parable tells us, ignore it at our peril. The voice of good news. Let's listen to it. Let's hold on to this precious gift. Let's grow it. Let's discover it if we haven't found it yet. Let's embrace it. Let's enjoy the relationship it brings with God. And that's what Jesus in his parable was giving to us. A chance to really know God. Remember, we ignore him at that peril. The voice is there. Listen to it.